This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Awesome. Good morning. Have a seat, if you would, please. It's a great time to be together, don't you think? I hope. You know, I, I found such joy in praying for uh, just person after person after person. Uh, last week, as you took time to sit with Jesus and to contemplate what it would be like and what he's done in your life as a powerful conqueror, and then also as a peaceful ruler. And I hope that this week you came to know him better. And I hope that you came this morning wanting to know him even more. Because we're going to do that. Our goal in this series of teachings is that you and I might, to the best of our ability, be able to sort of jump inside the skin of Jesus and to do our best to live what he lived, to experience what he experienced. Because I have a feeling that the more we get to know Jesus, the more we will be drawn to him. Do you have that feeling? Yeah. I think oftentimes... What causes him to seem distant from us is we just haven't taken time to be with him, to climb into his world, and to get to know him. And so that's my goal for all of us this morning. We're going to take a we're going to take a tour as we did last Sunday uh, during this series of one week to live in the last week of Jesus' life. This morning we're going to talk about the Last Supper. Everybody here, I know, even if you've never been to church before, you've at least heard of the Last Supper. And uh, so I want to welcome you along on that journey. Uh, I had a whole lot of fun doing the research for this. I learned some things myself that I'm excited to pass on to you this morning. So uh, before I jump into that, I want to say uh, a wonderful welcome to all of you who are new to New Life. Uh, my name is Ron, and uh, like Kevin, I'm privileged to be one of your pastors and privileged to get to teach you most Sundays out of God's Word. And again, for those of you who are brand new, um, uh, this is a learning experience. And so on the inside of your programs, if you, if you will uh, take a moment and retrieve the teaching notes, probably most of the rest of us have them out already, but this particular sheet of paper, fill in the blanks. There's some places in there that I just left blank. Because rather than have you listen for specific words, I want you to write in those, in those open spaces uh, things that God would be saying to you or things that you want to remember personally. Because we're going to go through the setting of the Passover today. And uh, going to learn about that Jewish feast and then we're going to learn how it was a picture of, of what God wants us to, to be a part of in uh, the church. And uh, so, welcome along on that journey. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Passover setting. The last week of Jesus' life perfectly coincides with the week of Passover. Now, in the Jewish nation that God set up back when Moses led the, the nation of Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt, and he led them through the Red Sea and up to the, the base of Mount Sinai, and then uh, a number of the, the nation of Israel spent about a year 
at the base of Mount Sinai. And during that time, God set up uh, the structure of this new nation that would be his people. And he had a number of feasts that, that he set up for them because he wanted them to remember the important events of their history. Now, during this week of Passover, there were actually three different things that were going on. There was the, the, the Feast of the First Fruits, okay? And it was when they brought the very best of what they had and they gave it to God right up front. Because this was the birthday of their nation. Roughly speaking, the Passover was to the Jews what the 4th of July is to the United States. It's not necessarily the beginning of our calendar year, but it is the birthday of our nation, correct? And so this was the birthday of their nation. And one of the things that God wanted them to do right up front was to understand that, there was a, that their nation was a nation given to them by God. And so right up front, they were to bring the best of what they had and present it to God. It was the Feast of first fruits. There was also the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was going on at this time. And the reason it was unleavened bread, in other words, it had no yeast in it or anything that would make it to rise, was because on the night that they left the nation of Egypt, God said, I don't want you to put any leaven in your bread. And besides that, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that because they had to leave in a hurry. And, and so they weren't able to add the leaven at the proper time. And so from that point on, when they ate unleavened bread, it would remind them of the day of their deliverance. So there, it was a week-long feast at which they ate only unleavened bread. And then there was, at the end, the feast of the Passover. And I told you about that last week, and we're going to break that out a little bit more fully this week. And uh, if you weren't here last week, you're going to want to pull up the podcast and listen because you're going to learn some things about Passover that I won't be able to say to you today. But it was the, the Feast of Passover was a remembrance of the night that God brought the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery and he commanded them to slaughter a Passover lamb and to sprinkle blood on the sides and on the tops of the doorposts of their house so that when the angel of death came through the nation of Egypt, and was killing all the firstborn when he got to any house that had blood on the doorpost and above the door, he would pass over that house and, and the firstborn from that household would be spared. So this was the feast of Passover. Now, in Jerusalem, boy, the city was a buzz. During, actually, prior to Passover week. You know why? Historians vary in terms of the estimate of, of the total uh, um, population of Jerusalem at the time, but most of them believe that on during this week of the Feast of Passover that there was somewhere between 125,000 and 250,000 people who were in the city of Jerusalem. I happen to believe that it was probably closer to the 250,000 number on this year because everybody knew something was happening. The advent of Jesus had brought a spiritual rebirth to the nation of Israel. 
And so people were much more spiritually attuned. Plus, word had gotten out that Jesus was going to Jerusalem for this particular Passover. So everybody wanted to go. As you read through the New Testament, you can see uh, little uh, hints of that here and there. So let's just assume this morning that there were about 250,000 or a quarter of a million people who were in Jerusalem for this Passover. You know what that meant? It meant that a week before this Passover week, that vendors started descending on the city of Jerusalem because where there's a quarter of a million people, there will always be vendors, correct? Yeah. And they were setting up their booze because they were going to sell all kinds of things. People would come from all over the world. Jews from all over the world would descend on the city of Jerusalem. And so this was the opportunity for them to sell not only things related to the Passover, but things related to Israel and things related to the city of Jerusalem and things related to temple worship. And so there were vendors setting up their their little uh, temporary vending booths all over the town, wherever they could get space. And we learned last week that in the temple, that, that the people who regularly sold animals in the temple and so forth, so people could sacrifice, they were expanding their booths. And they were, they were taking over most of the temple so that they could sell to this quarter of a million people who were coming to offer a sacrifice. And oh, by the way, they also raised their prices like two or three times higher than usual because they had a captive audience. And we learned how Jesus responded to that last week. So that's what's happening in the city of Jerusalem. It's just, it's buzzing with activity the week before and during the week of Passover because the week of Passover is basically a feast all week long. So what was Jesus doing during that week? Well, we saw what he did last, last week on Sunday of that week. He rode into town and made his grand entrance riding on the on the colt of a donkey, and, and there were some amazing things that took place. But there are a number of other things that Jesus and his disciples have been doing during the week. They have not been staying in the city of Jerusalem, but they have actually been leaving the city of Jerusalem each night to go to a little town about three or four miles away, the town of Bethany. This was, a, this was one of Jesus' favorite places to go because in the town of Bethany, he had three very special friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know for sure that Martha owned a home, and probably Mary and Lazarus each owned their own homes. And so it, uh, it's quite likely that because Jesus was going to Bethany each night, that he and his 12 apostles were staying in the homes of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, um, prior to this, not too long prior to this, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. So there's a very special bond there. I would imagine that if someone raised you from the dead, you might like them for the rest of your life. What do you think? (laughs) They would be one of your favorite people. Of course. So there's always an open invitation for them to stay there. Now, during the days, Jesus seems to be in the temple And he's on the temple grounds, and wherever Jesus is, there's always a crowd gathered around him, and they're always eager to hear what he has to say, and Jesus always has something to say, particularly because he knows this is the last week of his life on this earth, and he wants to make sure that he's giving a summarizing teaching 
of all the things about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God, and all the things about salvation and the things about his coming death. And over and over again during this week, he continually gives the crowd the message that he's going to be delivered over to the hands of the Gentiles. They are going to they are going to persecute him. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And on the third day, he's going to be raised up from the dead. He's giving that message day after day after day after day, which is why when Jesus was crucified, the religious leaders went to Pilate and said, now this guy said that he would rise on the third day. Could we post a guard on that tomb to make sure the disciples don't come and steal the body? And try to fulfill that claim. You know, it wasn't that they remembered that from months ago. They remembered it because he was saying it day after day after day. Some other things have been happening in the temple. And that is people have been coming to Jesus. Uh, One time it was the Sadducees. And one time it was the Pharisees. And one time it was the Herodians. and, 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 And people were taking their shots at him. Because what really galled all of the religious leaders was the fact that when they stood up in the synagogue and said, Everybody come, I've got a great lesson. Like three people would be there. And Jesus Sort of didn't have to invite anybody. He just showed up on the temple grounds and thousands of people came. And that really bothered them. So they wanted to discredit him because none of them could get him in one of their religious leader clubs. So they came to try to make Jesus look silly. How do you think that worked? Wouldn't you have loved to have been Dr. Phil after Jesus got done with them? How's that working for you? (laughs) Every one of them came to make Jesus look silly, and he just told them the truth, and they went away looking pretty stupid. And they go away shaking their heads about that time another group would come up. And they've got some wacko theological question that they're pretty sure Jesus can't answer. And if he does answer it correctly, it's going to make him look bad. And he gives them an answer that they don't expect. But everybody knows it's actually a true answer. And they walk away shaking their heads. And it's like that day after day. It would have been a fun time to be in the temple, don't you think? Every time a group came up and they're going to question Jesus, I would just, hey, come here, watch this. Maybe that's the sadistic side of me. What do you think? (laughs) Well, anyway, this is going on day after day after day. So now we go from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and today we're going to go to Thursday. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Here is scene one. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. To the Jews, this day, Thursday, was called the day of preparation for the Passover. And there's a number of things that took place in the city of Jerusalem. First of all, All Jews were were asked to come to the city of Jerusalem to eat the Passover meal in the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't something where you just took the Passover at your house. You came together to eat Passover. And you came to the city of Jerusalem. So, 
there were some very special things that happened in the city of Jerusalem. This was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you go back and read uh, back in the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus, Moses specifically said, you're to go through your house and you're to remove all of the leaven. Well, by the time that Jesus comes along, a little over a thousand years later, this has developed into a ritual. And so during Passover week, the Jews would go through their house even at night and they would light candles and they were looking for any little bits of leaven. I don't know where they thought they would find it, but they were looking through their homes and they would collect all the leaven, all the yeast, all the leavening agents in their house. And then on this Thursday morning, they would all bring that, all of that leaven to the temple and they had this big ritual called the burning of the leaven. And that way it would all be gone. And uh, so uh, they would bring it all to the temple and they would pile it all on the altar and they would light a fire and they would burn up every speck of leaven in the entire city of Jerusalem And that usually took them to a little before noon to get that all done. Then there was the official sacrifice of a Passover lamb for the entire nation that that was done at the temple in Jerusalem. And so there was this big worship service and this ritual sacrifice and, and, and thousands and thousands and thousands, as many of those quarter of a million people as possible, would crowd into the temple grounds and they would have this ritual sacrifice. And then after that, all of the individual families would bring their Passover lamb. Now here's a couple things that God said about the Passover lamb. It had to be one year old, so in other words, it had to be young. Secondly, it had to be without blemish, okay? And so it couldn't be spotted, it couldn't be speckled, it couldn't have ringworm, it couldn't be blind, it couldn't be lame, couldn't have, it had to be a perfect specimen. They had to bring it to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they had to sacrifice it by slitting its throat and draining its blood. And that blood was holy blood. It was the blood of the Passover sacrifice. And they would take that blood back home to their houses, and that's what they would sprinkle on the doorposts. But, it, but by the time Jesus came along, this has developed into a ritual. Now I want you to think with me for just a minute. They had to eat it all. They couldn't break any of its bones. And they had to roast it. They couldn't boil it. They couldn't cook it in an oven. They had to roast it over an open flame. Uh, Moses also said you have to eat it with your walking stick in your hand. You had to eat it with your, uh, you know, they wore these kind of robes. So they would take leather straps and and they would bind their robes around their thighs and legs and sort of turn them into temporary pants so they would be ready for a long hike. When you read some of the older versions of the Bible, when you come across the phrase, gird up your loins, if you ever read the King James, that's what they're talking about. It means get ready for a race, get ready for a long, for a long hike. You had to sit down and eat it together as a family. You had to eat it after sundown, and you had to eat the whole lamb. You couldn't leave any of it till morning. And so what you had to do was, if you couldn't eat the whole lamb yourself, you brought people over to your house and you shared it together. 
So I want you to think about this. Probably eight or ten people could eat on, could, could get a decent meal out of a one-year-old lamb. So if you have 250,000 people in your town and you've got ten people eating on each lamb, how many lambs is that? How many? 25,000. Are you on board with me? That's a bunch, is it not? That's huge. All 25,000 of those lambs have to be sacrificed on the same day at the temple. Think that might have presented a logistics problem? No. Well, here's how they solved it. Okay? During the time of David, David set up the Levitical priesthood into 24 divisions. And the priest would come and serve a week at a time by divisions. But on Passover preparation day, instead of one division reporting, all 24 divisions of the priests and the Levites reported to the temple. And they stood in long lines at this point, one side were priests with gold bowls, and on this side were priests with silver bowls. And as people would come through, you found a priest that was holding a bowl. You, you slit the throat of your Passover lamb. You drained it into that bowl, and the priest would turn around, and he would throw most of that blood at the base of the altar, and then he would, and then he would take the bowl and pour it into whatever you had brought so you could take the rest of it home and dip your, your weeds in it and put it on the sides and the top of the doorpost of your house. Uh, before you roasted your lamb. It was, it was quite the operation. So now let's go back to this passage. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said what? Go prepare the Passover meal. You know what they were doing? They were the ones who went and found the Passover lamb. They bought it from one of the merchants because neither Jesus nor his disciples owned a farm, Right? So they bought a Passover lamb. They went and stood in line at the temple. And then when, it was, when the time was ready, they slit the throat of the lamb. They drained the blood. They got a little of the blood. They went back and they prepared the Passover meal at the house. They went and did all that stuff for the rest of the disciples. What were the rest of them doing? They were probably at the temple listening to Jesus teach. That's what they usually did. But for Peter and John... Jesus gave them a special assignment. It was, after all, Passover preparation day. Big day in the city of Jerusalem. Long before sundown, the last Passover lamb was sacrificed. They closed up the temple. The 24 divisions of the priests all left and went home because they had their own Passover lamb that they, they had to eat and get ready and have with their family. And so at sundown, the new day began for Jews. We, we begin days at midnight. They didn't. They began their days at sundown. So what would be Thursday night for you and me, they considered the beginning of Friday. So they didn't actually call it Friday morning. It was just the beginning of Friday. Okay? So we are ready to move ahead to sundown and the beginning of the Passover meal. And that is scene two. When the time came, 
Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples and said, Take this and eat it. By the way, let me, let me have you write something at the top of your notes. Okay? It, it, up there underneath where it says the Last Supper, would you put Matthew 26? I'm going to give you um, five passages of Scripture. Matthew 26. Mark 14. Luke 22. You can put John 12 and following. Actually, it begins at the end of 12 and the beginning of 13. And then you can put 1 Corinthians 11. Because what I'm reading to you this morning is I took all of those accounts and I merged them together into one story. Okay? So that's why there aren't references. This is a conglomeration from all of those places. Now, this particular part actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after eating, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And mark my words. When Jesus says that, it means wake up and pay attention, right? Something important is about to follow. Here's what he says. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, there's so much more that goes on in this day, but I want to focus our attention just on these events. If you hung around not just this church, but probably any church for a while, you understand that this was the Last Supper, and this is Jesus' institution of communion. But this took place in the setting of a Jewish Passover. Now, what you and I think, when you and I think of the Last Supper, we think serious, sober, and somber, don't we? Shake your head like this. Of course we do. Why? Because we know it's the last time Jesus is ever going to eat with his 12 apostles before his death. That would be sad and somber. And we know that Jesus is, is going to institute communion. And so he's going to tell the people that this bread represents my body and this cup represents my blood. And we understand because we live on this side of Calvary, we understand that that's about Jesus' crucifixion. But the 12 apostles didn't know any of that, did they? No. Clueless. In Jerusalem. Yeah. That's where they were. So guess what? They're in the middle of the Passover feast. And the, one of the things that happens relatively early on in the Passover feast is the one who's presiding over the Passover, that by this time the Jews had a number of well-developed rituals and traditions that were part of the Passover. Originally, the Passover meal was a simple meal. 
And by the way, when you go to the tables to take communion this morning, there's no centerpieces, none of those things, because the original Jewish meal was actually a very simple meal. They ate a roasted lamb that was seasoned with bitter herbs, and they ate the bitter herbs and the roasted lamb and unleavened bread, and that was it. But by the time that Jesus came along, the Jews had, because this was a very important meal for them, it was sort of the central meal of the entire year, they had accumulated a number of traditions. And one of them was that they took three layers of this unleavened bread and they put them at the center of the table and relatively early on in the, in the meal, the one presiding over it would lift up the top uh, layer of the bread would take the middle matzo out and would break it. And he always said, this is the bread of affliction. Why so? Because it was unleavened, it represented to the Jews their slavery in Egypt. Because when you eat unleavened bread, it doesn't compare in taste to bread that's been raised and baked properly. Correct? Yeah. It's sort of dry and crackery. And if you don't eat it, if you don't drink something with it, it sort of cakes your mouth. And and it reminded them that their time in Egypt was distasteful. Why did they break the bread? Because it was a symbol that their affliction in Egypt was broken. Big deal. Big. It's why we light firecrackers on the 4th of July. Got it? Yeah. Now it's very apparent. At that point in the Passover meal, Jesus stood up because he was presiding over the Passover with his 12. And he reached out to do what they had all, I mean, they had done every year of their lives in the celebration of the Passover. And Jesus took that middle matzo and he broke it and said, instead of this is the bread of the affliction, what did he say? This is my body. Oh, that was new. Which is given for you. And then he he further says, do this in what? Remembrance, not of the day that your affliction was broken in Egypt, but do this in remembrance of me. Why would it be in remembrance of Jesus? Would you hear carefully? The slavery that the, that the Israelites had in Egypt is nothing compared to the bondage that all of us have to sin. Am I right about that? Because slavery in Egypt could never keep you out of heaven, right? But can slavery to sin keep you out of heaven? Yes, it can. The slavery in Egypt could never actually take joy from your life because you could actually be joyful in the midst of slavery. But I can tell you this, sin will rob you of every vestige of joy in your life. You stay with it long enough and it will drain you dry. Is that right? It is right. Absolutely. And Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Why? Because I've come to deliver you from the slavery of sin. 
What did we think about last week? Jesus as our conquering king. Yeah. There's not a sin in your life or in my life that Jesus can't conquer and won't conquer and he won't break its hold on us. And in a few minutes, when we take communion, I want you to think about it when you break the bread because we have big sheets of matzo, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to instruct you in a little bit. We're going to do some special things with that. But when you break off your piece of matzo, I want you to think about that representing Jesus breaking the power of sin in your life. That's good stuff, isn't it? That's great stuff. Now, there's, there's another key element that went into the Passover meal for the Jews, and that is they had four cups of wine. Okay? And I've left a place for you to, to write this down in your notes. The first cup was the cup of sanctification. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, God makes four promises connected with the Passover meal. And so the Jews had developed four cups of wine, one to represent each promise. And the first promise that God made was, I will bring you out. And the word sanctify literally means to be set aside from something else and reserved for God's use. And God said to the nation of Israel, I will bring you out. I will sanctify you. So that was the first cup that they drank. The second cup was this one. After sanctification, it was the cup of deliverance. God said, I will deliver you from the slavery of Egypt. Now, originally, uh, the people thought that they would be going away to sacrifice to God for three days and then going back to the nation of Egypt as slaves. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not just going to sanctify you and bring you out for three days. I'm going to deliver you from the slavery of Egypt. The third cup was the cup of redemption. God says, I will redeem you with my mighty power. And to redeem means to buy back. You think that somehow the Egyptians have owned you, but the truth is, God says, I own you and I'm buying you back from the Egyptians who have owned you. And then last is the cup of restoration where God says, I will take you as my people. Every one of those was extremely important to the Jewish nation because each was a very precious promise. So it is in the course of the meal that Jesus stands up as the person who presides over the Passover wood and he <clears throat> excuse me he raises the first cup which was the <clears throat> which was the the cup of sanctification. And Jesus would say but he always said, this is the cup of sanctification. This is a reminder of God's promise. I will bring you out. And then he would, later on in the meal, he would take the second cup and he would raise it and he would say to all present, this is the cup of deliverance. This is a reminder that God makes to us of that promise that he will bring us out. He will break that, that, that yoke of slavery and deliver us from the slavery of Egypt. But it's the third cup that really captures everyone's attention. For when Jesus stands with the third cup, which was, was toward the end of the meal, instead of saying, this is the cup of redemption to remind us 
of the promise God made to us through Moses that I will redeem you with my mighty power. Jesus instead holds up the cup and says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Wow. He got real quiet in that room. What? This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, I want you to remember whom? Me. Not Moses. Not some promise that that God made through Moses. I want you to remember this. You know why? Because he was saying that there's a new way of redemption. It's the new covenant. It's not with the blood of bulls and goats. It's not even with the blood of a Passover lamb. You know these 25,000 lambs that we have slaughtered this day and we've taken their blood and we've poured it out at the base of the altar and we've pounded it on the sides of our doorpost. Jesus is saying, there is a better way than this. This is the new covenant of my blood written and confirmed with my blood. So this morning as we take communion, we're going to do it in a very special way. We've got four tables, and on the tables there are sheets of matzo. And uh, don't take a whole sheet. We don't quite have enough for everybody to have a whole sheet. But I want you to break off a much larger than normal portion. And the first time that you break it off, I want you to remember that that's symbolic of Jesus coming to break the power of sin in your life. Okay? To deliver you. But then I want you to find a place in the corner, some place where you can be by yourself, uh, where you have just a little privacy. And there's a second thing that, that the Jews often did. And that is, you know, we have adjectives where we can talk about holy, holier, holiest. Well, the Jews didn't have that. It wasn't in their language. So what they would say, it's why if you've been to a church and they sing a hymn, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord. If you say holy once, that just means holy. If you say holy, holy, that means holier. And if you said holy, 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 it means holiest. It means to the nth degree. Now, what did Jesus say when he broke the bread? This is my body. It was the bread of affliction. It was the bread of suffering. How badly was Jesus' body broken and tortured? Was it just broken or was it broken, broken, broken? It was three. Okay? So I want you to take a little larger piece and you find a place where you can be sort of by yourself you think about that for a minute. I want you to break your bread three times. And I want you to remember what Jesus went through for you and for me. I want you to eat those three pieces and then make your way back to the table and take the cup. And what does the cup represent? Jesus said, this is my blood. Looks sort of like blood. So I want you to do something maybe that you've never done before. I want you to dip the tip of your finger in the juice. I want you to look at it for a minute and imagine that that's the blood of Jesus. 
spilled out on the ground for you. After you've had a few moments to meditate on that, then drink the cup, remembering that it's the blood of Christ that purchased the forgiveness of our sins. And while we're doing that, worship band is going to play an old hymn and sing an old hymn that, that just encapsulates it so well. It says, What can wash away my sin? Anybody know the answer to that? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you on board with that? Let's have a great time with Christ together. Would you join me in prayer, Lord? As we take this communion now, we remember that your body was broken so that the power of sin over us could be broken. And Lord, your body was broken and broken again and broken again. Flesh torn from bone so that we could live. You took the punishment of our sin. So Lord, we eat the bread in your honor. And we remember that it was your blood that just literally poured out from your broken flesh that washes away our sin. Blood not, not, not sprinkled at the base of some altar in Jerusalem. But as you tell us in your word, offered at the temple of heaven. Amen. We read you a passage and then you come and partake. He, Christ, has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. Not one made by human hands, that temple in Jerusalem, the tabernacle that Moses built, they were replicas of the real thing that exists in heaven. And I don't know how Jesus did it, but in the same way he tore the curtain in the temple in two from top to bottom, somehow he reached down and took his own blood, said with his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. It is the bread and blood of our redemption. Let's eat and drink in his honor.
Thank you, Lord, for taking us to the cross. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Take a seat. I'm going to say a couple things to you, and then I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. Um, One has to do with Good Friday. Good Friday's coming up on April the 6th, I believe. And um, in times past, we've done a service with all the churches of City Ministries, and it's been a great time, but the pastors all decided this year that we were going to do services in our own churches. Um, So for the first time, we're going to do a service at New Life for New Life people, and I want to tell you, you're not going to want to miss that service. It's going to be unlike any service we've ever done at New Life. The worship will be powerful. Um, I I, I don't want to say too much about it other than I want you to come ready to experience um, the death of Christ in, in, in a way that I know will touch your life forever. And um, so that's April the 6th at 7 o'clock. You'll see a poster about that in the, in the foyer. I have one more thing I want to tell you, okay? And you t- I need you to take out your notes because we'll do tiny little teaching, okay? And, and down there under closing thought, I want you to write the word unfinished in the blank. How many cups of wine did the Jews have at their Passover meal? Four. How many did we talk about? We talked about all four. But Jesus took the third cup, right? And it was the third cup, the cup of redemption. Then he said, this is, my, this is my blood. And you notice in the meal, right after that, he said, Mark my words, I'm not going to drink wine again with you until when? I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we have no record that Jesus ever finished that Passover meal. That fourth cup, evidently he didn't drink. Never led, never led them in it. Been a lot of speculation about why, but here's what I think. Jesus said he was going to drink it with us when? In his Father's kingdom. Did you know that on the day that Jesus comes again, And God's kingdom is set up on this earth. And Jesus becomes the king of this earth. And the new Jerusalem becomes the capital city of of our new heavens and new earth. That item number one is a vast banquet over which Jesus presides and at which Jesus serves. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb in the Bible. Not the marriage supper of Jesus, but the marriage supper of what? The Lamb. I believe it may well be that Jesus will raise that fourth cup. Because then we will have been brought out, then we will have been delivered then we will have been redeemed. And what was cup four? The cup of restoration, which was, I will what? Take you as my people. I don't think Jesus wanted to drink that cup until we could all be there. Will that be fun? Yes. 
So how can we apply this three ways? Number one, okay, we can go back and read Matthew chapter 26, and I want us to do that, to go back and read Matthew 26 this week. Do it on Monday. Make it tomorrow. And just relive those events with Jesus, because that will prepare us for what we're going to talk about in this coming week, okay, which is the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? Secondly, I think it would be very appropriate for us to write a letter of gratitude to Jesus. So someday this week, sit down at your computer. I don't care. Take out paper. I don't care how you do it. But I want us to write a letter of gratitude to Jesus for it was his body that was broken. It was his blood that spilled out on the ground. And then the third way is those of us who are here this morning, you know, the body and the blood of Christ, his body was broken and his blood was given but it's useless to you until you become a follower of his. It just sits there. It's all available to you, but it's not automatically yours. It's yours when you choose to become a follower of Christ. So if you make that choice today, the best choice you'll ever make in your life because it's the one that secures your eternity with Jesus. I'm going to pray. Lord, Guide us in making that choice. I pray for every person here this morning who's never formally made that choice. Maybe their parents sort of made that choice for them as kids and they're trying to live up to a choice their parents made for them. Or maybe they just have hung around church and sort of automatically thought it happens, you know, if they hang around enough. But Lord, would you move in our hearts today that every single one of us, when we leave this place, could say, I am. As of today, I am a follower of Jesus. And then, Lord, would you speak to us as we read Matthew 26. And when we take pen and paper, computer, whatever, and we write our letters to to you, Lord, they come from our hearts to yours. And we pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.